some games canceled this week because of uh, COVID-19 positive tests, but we're gonna we're gonna try and focus on the positive as the league slowly crumbles around it. Oh, positive, bad choice of word focus there. Focus on the positive, nice, I like it. Hello everyone and welcome into There's a Lot Going On, the only podcast that comes with a side of ranch. My name's David Arroyo, joining me today as always is my friend, my pal, Tom Shively. Tom, how you doing today? That's uh, first week of October, a little crisp in the air, uh, football season, full swing. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I had some Arizona iced tea right before this, so we are ready to go. Not a sponsor, but if they want to be, uh, we do not have any quarrels with that, and we'll, we'll take the sponsorship. I actually would appreciate the sponsorship. Free Arizona sounds like a move. Free it's Ar- fantastic, yeah. Free Arizona also sounds like a political movement, but I'm just going to leave that one uh, lingering in the air for people to figure out what the movement would be. Tom, we had a. It's October. You know, you said football season's in the air. The leaves are changing colors. They're falling from the tree. But we got NBA Finals games because of coronavirus. So last night, game four of the NBA Finals, the Miami Heat finally were able to take down the. Game three, excuse me. Thank you for the correction, Tom. Game three of the NBA Finals, the Miami Heat were finally able to take down the Lakers 115-104. to 104. It was a monster performance from Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler last night had 40 points, uh, 11 rebounds, 13 assists, two steals, and two blocks. He's the first player in an NBA Finals game with LeBron James to average more points, assists, and rebounds than him. So that, that was quite a feat for Jimmy Butler. So it was not only a a great game by Jimmy Butler's standards, but an all-time just performance in the NBA Finals and in the playoffs. And now the Heat got life. The Heat are going to go into game four in a couple of days, uh, hoping to get Bam Adebayo back. And we'll, we'll see where that lifts them. But Tom, I, I think if you're the Lakers, you got to be a little disappointed with that performance last night, considering you had a real opportunity to put the Heat away and just you know leave all doubt removed from this series. Yeah, I mean, obviously no team's ever come back from 3-0. And you look at it on paper, no Dragic, no Adebayo. You're thinking, all right, like right, let, where's Larry O'Brien? Like, let's go if you're the Lakers. And to come out as flat as they did, I, I don't quite understand why. I mean, it, they've kind of had one of these games in every series. Uh, obviously game one in the first two rounds, and then game three against the Nuggets where you're just kind of like – they weren't the Lakers tonight. Uh, the concern is, to, is this an issue that translates to game four or five, if there's a six down the road? I think the other teams weren't necessarily equipped to go back into the well again like the Heat are, because we referenced even on the show last week, you can have performances like Tyler Hero can come out and have a crazy performance like Butler did. I don't know if he's not capable of 40, but he had 37 against the Celtics in game four last round. So I I think it tells you more about the Lakers. Obviously, Jimmy Butler was fantastic, but you just kind of – you just get that performance sometimes from Jimmy Butler. I think it was the first 40-point triple-double ever that won in the NBA Finals or maybe the first triple-double ever that actually won in the Finals. Like, the the stats just keep piling up, and he was – he was a bad man, and it, it, it was it was fun. The the parts of the game that I caught was fun to watch. I mean, let's talk about those Lakers for a second, because I, I mentioned to you before we got on the podcast, if you had told me there was a game this series where Kyle Kuzma and Markeith Morris each gave you 19 points, I would have said that's a Lakers blowout. And the fact it wasn't, I think, is pretty damning for the Lakers. And now they're in this weird spot where the Heat, 
last game decided they were not going to give anything inside to the Lakers. They're going to give them a lot of threes. The Lakers ended up shooting 42 threes on 79 total shots. And to me, that's just not the basketball the Lakers want to play. And, you know, throwing out Myers Leonard and Kelly Olynyk ended up actually being a huge game changer in that game because he add, they both added some resistance to Anthony Davis and LeBron James. And, you know, Anthony Davis played in foul trouble basically the entire night and could never really get it going. The one time he did kind of get a little hot, he immediately got his third foul and had to sit back down. So I, I just think this Lakers team, for as much as we talked about how good they are, and they are, they're very good. And my prediction was Lakers in five. So the only way you get that is if they lose a game. So I'm not ready to overreact or say, this series is going to be close now but I think when you look at the Lakers they're very similar to last year's team that didn't make the playoffs where you can't afford for a second guy not to step up you can't have LeBron James have a good game which by the way he did not have a good game he had a very bad game yesterday especially on defense you can't have a game though where LeBron James plays really well and you know say Anthony Davis doesn't give you something because this team just isn't good enough to win it and I think I don't know if that's an indictment on the Lakers as much it is just the league this year where that was just kind of how every team was built this year but it's a really interesting spot to be in now where you're very reliant on two stars and the Heat are relying on one guy to drive drive the boat home And they just need little contributions from everyone else. And they really just gave the game to Jimmy yesterday and said, hey, go out there and win this. Well, uh, the stat that jumped out to me the most was the 40 points on zero three-point attempts for Jimmy Butler in the 2020 NBA, especially with how the Heat are constructed and how often they rely on, I think you saw in games one and two, this desire to shoot themselves back into a game, which... You know, worked in the third quarter of game two. They kind of got back into it, but the Lakers were the Lakers in the fourth. And in game one, really didn't work at all the entire game. They had a hot start. And then I think the Lakers went on something like a 74 to 30 run in the second and third quarter. And like that was curtains on the game. So it exposes the interior defense problems with the Lakers if you don't have Anthony Davis. I think we talk about the depth on that team, but a lot of the depth they have, guys like Rondo, Green KCP are perimeter players and not necessarily going to be a force inside. We got Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee, but both are past their prime. And outside of Davis, you you do have questions that if a guy like Myers Leonard can even have a a respectable game, not necessarily a good game, and then you think about Bam getting back into the fold, that might be the recipe for Miami. We might have been wrong the whole time that, hey, they can just shoot themselves back into a game, but if you can get into the paint and get AD in foul trouble, I mean, that, that's hard to kind of build your game plan around, but you'll take any lead you can get if you're Miami. I mean, I think they did find something kind of counter to what they're used to because the Lakers did a good job shutting that off, but Spolster can adjust. And I think they made that adjustment in game three, and I'd expect more of that from game four. Yeah, I'm curious to see. You mentioned JaVale McGee. He did not play in game three. I'm curious if maybe they'll have him play more if. Anthony Davis goes down because Dwight Howard didn't give you anything last night. He was a liability out on the perimeter when Olenek was out there. And when they went small, they just ran into a lot of issues last night that I feel like they hadn't been running into most of the playoffs. And I'm not, I don't know if JaVale fixes those problems, but he, maybe he's better than what they had yesterday. I mentioned it briefly, but I, I want to go back to LeBron James for a second because I would 
I would still say I consider him maybe the best basketball player in the world. It's very close. He's not so far ahead of everyone else like he used to be. But for him to hunt out and ask for that assignment with Jamal Murray last series, and then yesterday, Jimmy Butler's just torching them, and every single time a screen came, he switched off. And, you know, it would be Morris or KCP. They they were hunting KCP last night, which I thought KCP was a good defender. And clearly, I just, I was wrong about that. I must not watch enough basketball. He, they were hunting that matchup. And Jimmy was getting to a spot every single time against those guys. And for LeBron not to embrace and want that matchup, I, I just have to question why that was. Is it a fatigue issue? Is it something to do with, you know, coaches were telling him to kind of switch everything and not take that matchup. I was just perplexed at LeBron not wanting that assignment with Jimmy Butler. And Jimmy Butler, it it seemed like it didn't matter who was on him, but he was really hunting those matchups. And when he got them, was able to get to his spots every time. And that's how he's able to get 40 and create a lot of points for a lot of guys. Uh, it's It's interesting with LeBron because he does just seem to have these off games sometimes, which is not a fair comparison because relative to how you would expect a 35 year old to play, they're pretty quality games, but you're just so used to the, the excellence and the dominance that you've seen from him over the years that anytime he has kind of a hiccup, it's, Oh, whoa, whoa. Is he done? It's over like LeBron, the Lakers, but I think they're still fine. I don't, I don't know if there's any real danger to them unless, I mean, we even said this last week, Miami's key to the series was you got to get four games from like four different guys that can come out and just take over one game. And they got the Jimmy one, but he was the one that was most likely to do it. So now I think it kind of turns to the rest of the team. What can they do to put this forward? And and you'd be shocked to, I think, see the Lakers have a lot of the issues that they had in game three and game four. Because you look back against the Nuggets, I think – the front line combined for four rebounds in that game. Maybe it was something absurd that it was just like, this doesn't usually happen with this team. And they corrected it. They played game four was maybe their best game of the series against the Nuggets. So uh, they've been great at adjusting after all four of their, after all three of their losses so far. I don't know what would tell you that they're not going to adjust. The BAM thing is interesting though. That That is the key to me. The fact that they have him back and can now maybe exploit that inside matchup more. That's the thing to look out for in game four yeah i the other thing too i saw a lot of people calling this the rondo game because rondo just played absolutely terrible and i i think that's the concerning part if you're the lakers is at stretches this season including the playoffs their shooting has just gone absolutely ice cold and if their shooting stays cold and the heat are starting to uptick and they're getting hot now and they're building confidence, I think that's the concerning part is you allowed the heat now, a team who is basically 100% built on their confidence and their edge and their will to win, you gave them a lifeline. And now you got to be a little concerned that they're going to come out game four and they're just going to want it more. And if they go out there and they want it more than the Lakers, a team who we saw LeBron in game one yelling at teammates because, you know, he had that attitude of, yo, it's game one. We haven't won anything yet. You guys got to get it together. Guys got to focus up. And it's still a young team. I think people forget that. And if this is a team that isn't focused and is a team who doesn't necessarily want it as much as the heat that could be the difference in a close game 
And I kind of felt that last night. It just felt like a team who didn't want it. And I include LeBron James in that. He did not seem like he wanted it last night. And he's going to get a lot of heat for it. And he's deservedly so. And he's going to need a big game, game four. They're going to need a big game from Anthony Davis. But Anthony Davis cannot give you 15, five, and three. I don't care if you have personal foul issues. He had four fouls. To get out-rebounded so thoroughly the way he did against Miles Leonard and... You know, Jimmy Butler came down with 11 boards. I I just think he should be ashamed in that performance. And that's not the Anthony Davis we came to expect. And let's just put it out there. We were discussing whether or not he was going to win finals MVP. Not with performances like that. And even if he bounces back, if LeBron keeps playing the way we know he can play, he's going to be your finals MVP at this point. And I think Anthony Davis really squandered an opportunity to completely shift his narrative from somebody who at times comes up short to a consistent clutch playoff performer. And, you know, this is a team that should have been up 3-0 after last night, given the injuries, like you said. And instead, you know, we're talking about whether or not they can hold off Miami tying the series in game four. I think that's a little bit of an overreaction. I don't know if this necessarily closes the book on a finals MVP, anything like that for him with how dominant he was in game two. It's 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 more so just disappointing to see that they had it. And I, I think the question isn't like they obviously took the foot off the gas, but the concern is why? Is it is it because they're they're coasting? You know, you're up to a eh, whatever, like we'll be fine. This team doesn't have anybody. I think that plays into it, but you know, suddenly if Miami wins tomorrow night, it, it's tied. And they have a real chance and they're not a team that you mentioned they're built on confidence. So if they can go out and knock down a few threes early, Tyler hero can get his little snarl going. Like, you know, they might have a chance. Yeah. They're an interesting team. And I think like we kind of mentioned to give a team like that confidence is not a position you really want to be in right now. Tom, we kind of mentioned up a little bit before we move on. I kind of want to talk with you about the impact of Bam Adebayo how, how healthy do you think he's going to be and what can he really bring to the heat given his shoulder injury? Uh, and that that is if he even plays, we still don't even know if he's going to play in game four. I'd be shocked if he didn't play, but if he doesn't play in game four, we can feel confident they'll probably get him in game five, given they have two extra days rest or an extra day rest. I think it is in between game four and game five. Well, a shoulder injury is even more detrimental to a guy that is so prolific as a shot blocker because so much of that movement is up above your head. And I I think so much of his game relies on the strength and the flexibility of his shoulders and his upper arms. So how does that kind of play into his game? Obviously he's good on the offensive end, but he, he, he's more known for his proficiency inside. And I think he's going to have a lot of challenges going up against AD, especially who can, just shoot over him because he's Anthony Davis. And so that's going to be a problem for him. I think he brings you a little bit on the offensive end, but he's not like AD in the sense that you can just feed Bam the ball and he'll get you a bucket. Like he has to kind of be set up as, you know, where AD, obviously he's a better shooter. He's got better movement and he can you know create his own shot. You don't get that with Bam. Yeah, I, I think the interesting thing is that Bam had been the best player for the Miami Heat. And they played so much better yesterday, I feel like, once they figured out that they could throw Olenek out there and really stretch the floor and create some matchup problems with Olenek. 
And I wouldn't be surprised, even if Bam is healthy, if he only plays about 15, 20 minutes and he's used more as a decoy as opposed to actually being a reliable threat for them out on the court. It's going to be interesting. I think this series, I still like the Lakers in five, but the Lakers did not give you an inspiring performance last night to make you feel like it was going to be an easy five. And you know, after games one and two, I, I don't know how you felt. I thought it was going to be a sweep. They just look so much better. And then, you know, Spolster, credit to him, made a huge adjustment. Jimmy Butler carried a bunch of scrubs through game three and were able to win that game. And now we got maybe a series on our hands. We'll see after game four because I'm not ready to declare it a series unless the Lakers drop game four. It's so hard to sweep in the NBA Finals if you're not the Golden State Warriors. Like, it, it takes... You you can't be a, a fluke playoff team in the NBA Finals. I think you can. I think you can win around kind of flukily. Flukily is that a word? I don't know. It is now. You can win around and get to you know get to the conference semifinals and then get exposed as frauds. Cough cough. Atlanta Hawks a couple of years ago. You know the Celtics have done that a few times. But to get to the finals is just such a haul that your team's gonna naturally have talent and it's hard to best the team four times in a row especially with, you know, the Lakers are a great team, but they're not as dominant as champion teams that we've seen in the past. So I think there is that little bit of, there's a little bit of uncertainty that they'll actually win the title. Unlike the obvious example is the Warriors from 2017, 2018. They don't have that. They're just naturally going to win the championship. They do have to work for it. Well, we'll we'll see what it's like after Tuesday, game four, Tuesday, 9 p.m. Game five is Friday, October 9th, day before my birthday at 9 p.m. And if it goes that far, game six will be Sunday. So come next Monday, the series will either be over or going to a game seven. So either way, we're going to have a lot to talk about come next week, game seven. Uh, Before we move off basketball completely, we talked about him a little bit last week, but Doc Rivers has been hired as the coach of the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, It's a five-year deal. Uh, I kind of came on here last week and said I didn't really see the fit with the Sixers. And uh I still kind of feel that way a little bit. I think he's a guy who consistently has we has shown a propensity to blow 3-1 leads. And this is a young team. I think the thing that they have going for him is that he brings a lot of experience and cachet. And he seems like a guy that is loved throughout the league. Even Embiid, every time before a game, has you know made it a point to go over and talk to Doc Rivers and speak with him. And he's shown an ability to work with unique talents. You know, you look at Blake Griffin is kind of the guy that came to my head as a unique talent that he was able to find a role for. And I, I think that's their hope of what he can do with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. But I'll, I'll let you go, Tom. Kind of instant reaction, not instant, but a couple of days later reaction to Doc Rivers being hired as the Sixers head coach. I like the I like the Blake Griffin point. I think he can turn. I think he can maximize use for some players. But we even touched on this last week. How does he? How does he do with superstars? Because his resume with that hasn't been too great. And. There's an argument to be made as to like where Ben Simmons stands in the hierarchy of the NBA, but I, I would say Joel Embiid at least is a superstar. And how can you build around that if you're Doc Rivers? Because the expectation has to be championships. Anytime you bring in a name like Doc Rivers, at least I think it is. And whether they have the pieces in place, it's easy to say they don't. They need another cough, cough, Jimmy Butler type guy to – contend for a championship maybe he can't quite cross the bridge but 
I, I like the hire. I, I think it's splashy. I think it's kind of you got to like you mentioned a guy that the league respects and you know already has kind of adds this credibility to the organization that maybe wasn't there before. That a lot of the reputation was oh Philly's just doing it again. They're you know they they botched another trade or they made another bad signing or they put another bad contract. And yeah, sure, a lot of that's the front office. But I think having that kind of face the franchise that is more respected will help them in the long run. I'm interested to see how he can develop Embiid. That, 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 that's the big thing to me. I, I think the only weird part about it, right, is they went from a guy who has shown an in, inability to make in-game adjustments to another guy who has shown an inability to make in-game adjustments. So they, they went from Brett Brown to the better Brett Brown. And that that's no knock on Doc. Doc is obviously a better coach than Brett Brown. I'm, I'm not saying he's not. I just think Doc Rivers, like, like I kind of mentioned, he he's shown that in big moments these last few years, he shrinks. His coaching is not as good. And, you know, maybe, you know, I, I think that the po- I'll give some positives because I, I don't want to be all negative on the Doc Rivers hire because I actually do think it's a good hire. For one, he's the only coach to realistically get a lot out of Tobias Harris. He's his what he was able to get out of Tobias Harris is the entire reason the Sixers traded for Tobias Harris and gave him that contract. So I think part of this is an admission that we didn't get enough out of Tobias Harris and we need to get more out of him. And maybe they do with Doc Rivers. He can find a way to make it work. I also think this has to be at least in part about Al Horford because you kind of mentioned Doc Rivers has shown he's good at working with veterans. And I think he's maybe the only guy who was available, maybe in the league, who can go to Al Horford and say, hey, you're going to be our backup center. You're playing 20 minutes a night, and that's what we need from you. We need you to be a leader. We need you to be the backup center, and we need you to just give us a good, consistent effort off the bench. And maybe if that's the role they use Al Horford in, he fits this team a little bit better because he clearly does not work next to Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, two guys who want to be inside the paint and they're making Al Horford take all these three point shots that he's, that's just not Al Horford's game. You don't want Al Horford taking five, six threes a game. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what he can do with the veteran players. Again, I don't think it's a terrible hire. I want it Ty Lue because of the accountability factor of it. And I'm hoping Doc Rivers isn't one of those guys who is kind of buddy-buddy with Ben Simmons and Embiid because then you're just going to have the same situation you have with Brett Brown, an inability to change from those guys when you need Embiid to really embrace being a dominant low-post player and you need Ben Simmons to figure out how to shoot a basketball. A couple thoughts. Actually, I like the Al Horford comparison. And a guy we've seen in the NBA Finals that I just thought of, like Udonis Haslam, maybe is more of a role for Horford. Obviously, Horford still plays and he's not you know, 85 years old like Haslam is, but you see him kind of coaching the team on the sideline and talking to them and motivating them. Maybe there is some of that in Horford, but he, he never had really a leader personality, Horford. He was always kind of a quiet, you know, the obvious, whenever he like cowers away from the ball after the free throw, that just like is the epitome of Al Horford's career to me. It's just kind of scared, but I don't know. I think with... Doc, you elevate yourself to immediately we have to win a championship. Is that how you feel as a Sixers fan? That's kind of, I mean, even going into this year with Brett Brown, the narrative was still this Philly team can win a championship. I I think it depends. Obviously, that was far away from the truth. 
I think it depends on what they do this offseason because, yes, I still think the roster is good enough to win playoff games. They they woefully, in my opinion, still underperformed from where they should have been because they had the talent to be better. And they just never embraced the play big style basketball that they wanted to. They wanted to be the antithesis of the league. And they never really embraced that. Part of that was because of the injuries. Part of that was because there was no guard play. But I, I don't see a solution at guard around the corner. And I still think the best way forward for the Sixers is to make a move off of Al Horford. If you can get a guy like Chris Paul, a Drew Holiday, that's the move you need to make because Ben Simmons is best when he's not playing point guard, in my opinion. He's best either playing power forward or small forward. And if they can transition him into kind of like a LeBron James style small forward, which is was always the comparison people had for Ben Simmons coming into the league, that is the best version of the Sixers team to me, in my opinion. But I just don't like I don't know what their relationship like is Chris with Chris Paul and Doc Rivers, if that's even a possibility. I don't even know if the money is right to be able to make some of these trades. Like, does J.J. Redick want to come back? And do they even have the money to bring a J.J. Redick back? Uh, there's a lot of question marks still surrounding this team. A team that, by the way, said they were going to make front office moves and now five weeks later has still not made a single front office move. Uh, I just still am perplexed by the direction of this team and am hoping Doc Rivers can add enough for them to be credible and good enough next season to actually contend. I was about to ask, you've been messing around with the uh, Al Horford trade simulator at all? Did you pull anything good out of your pocket? So I've messed with it quite a bit. Uh, The best trade I was able to do got Chris Paul to Philadelphia, but it involved giving them Matisse Thybul and a first-round pick. That's your guy. I I like Matisse Thybul. I just think to pull off a lot of any real trade, they're going to probably have to include him because he's the only promising young piece the team has. So the other interesting guy, I think, with the Sixers, who I haven't mentioned, and I'm going to be quick on this because he's not big enough to really warrant a long discussion. Shake Milton is kind of in the mold of guys Doc Rivers likes in terms of guys off the bench who can go get their own bucket that Doc Rivers has kind of been able to mold into something You like I can see Shake Milton being that kind of Lou Williams for this team. Granted, I'm not, that's no disrespect to Lou Williams. Lou Williams is maybe the greatest six man of all time. But if Doc Rivers can get any sort of good six man performance out of Shake Milton, I think this is a good enough hire. I, again, I want it Ty Lue because of accountability, but Doc Rivers is a good basketball coach. He's going to actually have a game plan, unlike, you know, what feels like was the Brett Brown offense. And I'm going to give him an opportunity to show himself. And they invested in him. They gave him five years. So, you know, he's not going anywhere anytime soon. They're going to move off Simmons or Embiid before they move off Doc Rivers. I'm intrigued. I'm a big Doc supporter. Obviously won a title in Boston, only Celtics title I've ever witnessed. So I've got to respect the guy, but I think it's an interesting fit and it'll be fun to see how it plays out. Tom, moving from the NBA to the COVID-riddled NFL. Some games canceled this week because of uh, COVID-19 positive tests, but we're going we're gonna to try and focus on the positive as the league slowly crumbles around it. Oh, positive. Bad choice of word focus there. Focus on the positive? Nice. I like it. Yeah, really, really bad word choice there. Uh, Tom, we're going to go around the league. Uh, we're going to do a new segment here. Uh, not sure if the name is great, but we're going to run with it anyway. It's called Talgo or no go. Basically, what we're doing here is we're going to determine whether or not a team 
is a contender or not in the NFL. We're, we're trying to avoid the kind of obvious contender. So we're not talking about the Seahawks. We're not talking about the Packers. We're not talking about, I mean, I think you just gave me a look on the Packers. Maybe we should have talked about the Packers. No, I was talking about the Seahawks. I was giving you a look on the Seahawks because you were just slamming them before the show. But listen, I, I, they're still a contender. They're I, still I get a contender. your point. You just don't think they're going to win the NFC. We're not going to talk about the Chiefs, obviously. We're, we're going to talk about teams that we feel are more interesting than that. Uh, we're going to start in the NFC West. We got two teams out there. We're going to start with the team with the better record first. So the LA Rams so far this year, three and one on the year. Uh, they picked up a win this week in a, what I believe was a really ugly game against the Giants. But a win is a win. They got a win. Cooper Cup, shout out to Cooper Cup, the fantasy team. We're going to catch the L this week, but he's on the team. So the LA Rams as Super Bowl contenders, Tom, Talgo or no-go? I they are I think they have the pieces on offense to uh, what they put up 37 against the Eagles they put up a bunch on the Cowboys now they only want to score like 21 in that game the question is they're just too inconsistent to me and I think Jared Goff is not the guy that can win you a ring obviously they get there two years ago, but that was on the shoulder of Todd Gurley. And they, the, the offensive pieces just aren't there. You lose your best offensive player to the, to the Falcons and you're going to naturally regress. I'm, I'm out on the Rams. I think they're a playoff team, but I don't really see them making any noise just because of their inconsistencies. So I'm, I'm going to also go with a no go Tom. Uh, I think they're a team who is so reliant on the run game that if they don't have it, kind of like you saw with the giants, Jared Goff is not good enough to carry this football team. And I also think you saw that the personalities might be too big on this team where you, you saw that, that huge fight that broke out at the end of that game. Uh, I just think if Sean McVay can't control this team, which I'm not totally convinced that he can, then this team is just not good enough to win a Super Bowl. And there's still a couple pieces away when you have Jared Goff as your quarterback because you need a lot of help when Jared Goff is your quarterback as much as I think Jared Goff is a good NFL starter. Tom, the other team in the NFC West, the Arizona Cardinals, 2-2, two and two, another uh, second straight week with a loss after starting 2-0. and oh. You had kind of hopped all over the Arizona Cardinals hype train. I know you're a big Kyler Murray guy. Tom, for this season, the 2020 NFL season, Talgo or no-go on the Cardinals being a contender for the Super Bowl? You had to throw this season kicker in there? You thought I was just going to go... They're their Super Bowl contender in 2024. Hey, you thought you, that was the route I was going to take? You never know. Uh, the, the, quest, the concern to me is the teams that they lost to, the Lions and the Panthers. And they only lost by 10 to the Panthers. So that was a 28-7 to game in the third quarter. Kyler Murray's got to stop playing from behind. If they can figure out how to get ahead early in games and actually you know, not have to create this late game magic that he kind of got away with against San Francisco in week one. I I think they have the pieces with Hopkins and Chandler Jones. I think Fran mentioned this on when he was on the pod, maybe the most underrated defensive player in the league on that defense. And I think even guys like Buda Baker in the secondary was all pro last year. So they have the pieces on defense to contend. It's just, can you get a consistent enough performance from that offense? And I think you have Hopkins, who's a top five receiver in the league. If Murray can just use him more, please, they'll be fine. So I'm buying the I'm buying the Cardinals as 
as I'm Talgo on the Cardinals. Uh, just one comment there. DeAndre Hopkins had nine targets yesterday. I'm pretty sure he's second in the league in receiving yards. Like they're using DeAndre Hopkins. The issue, well, he's top five. I think he dropped, but they're using DeAndre Hopkins. I think the issue is they, they, I don't know. They're just, I think they're just young. They're they're a team that still has a lot to figure out, and it, until they kind of get a little bit better on defense, and you know, you kind of mentioned, you know, they're they're playing behind a lot, and I think a team who plays behind, who yes, they want to throw the ball like forty times a game anyway, but I just don't think that's a formula to win right now, and kind of like I, I mentioned in the wording of the question I, I think they could be contenders in the next few years I just don't see it this year I'm no go on the Cardinals uh Hopkins had seven catches he has 39 through the first four which is a Cardinals record but I the problem I was getting at more was 41 yards he had and I think they're utilizing him they just need him down the field more and maybe that's more of an offensive line issue and Kyler Murray's willingness to leave the pocket a little earlier than he has to so that might be more of a problem on Murray and not necessarily Hopkins, but I'm still riding with them. You're still riding with your boys. He's got 397 receiving yards on the year. He's only averaging about 10 yards a catch. Uh, for his career, he averages about 13 yards a catch. So I, I guess he's pretty close in line to what you would expect from DeAndre Hopkins. But you know we'll, we'll see as the season goes along to see if they kind of change up how they use him. Uh, Tom, to the NFC South, we got another two teams here we want to discuss. So we'll start with... The leaders in the division. I did not expect to say that at this point in the year. I thought somebody else would be leading this division. But the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they're 3-1. and one. Tom Brady yesterday, five touchdowns. You know, kind of looking a little bit better. He had another pick six, though. A little bit concerning, I think, if you're the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And it was once again on an out route. So I they should probably just throw every out route out of the playbook. Tom, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Talgo or no-go? I'm I'm Talgo on the Bucks. I think they came back from 17 points against the Chargers. And yeah, you know, they're not the barn burners of the league by any means. But Herbert played really well in that game. And it was a game that you kind of had to get a great performance from the offense to win. And it's hard to say no-go on any team that has Chris Godwin and Mike Evans and the weapons that they have offensively, kind of the two-headed beast they can throw out with Fournette and Jones. I think in as offensive dominant as the league is with the amount of weapons they have, it's and you've got that veteran leadership of Tom Brady. Those are all recipes to to be a playoff contender and make some noise. So I'm Talgo on the cards. Yeah. Or on the Bucks, my mistake. Yeah, let, let, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there. Talgo on the Bucks. The the Bucks as they're a team that through the first couple of weeks of the year, everyone's kind of talking about, you know, the defense is going to carry them. And the offense very quietly has been very good outside of that first Saints game. You know, they, they've kind of clicked a lot quicker than a lot of people thought they would. I don't know why people thought it would take them a while to click when you have Tom Brady as your leader, but it, it's a team who, you mentioned it, a lot of offensive firepower and underrated defensive personnel. I mean, Levante David might be one of the best linebackers in football. You know, you, you got the good interior pass rush. I, I think the Chargers beat themselves in that game. It's not necessarily the, the Bucks beat them. But the Bucs are that team who are going to be in it basically in every game because they have the formula to win. I, I think their only issue is special teams. I, I don't love their special teams personnel. And to win a Super Bowl, we know you need all three levels of of a team to be good. But they're definitely contenders, and they're atop of the NFC South right now. So I'm Talgo on the Bucs. Uh, Tom, from one Tom, one old aging quarterback 
to another old aging can't throw it out route quarterback the New Orleans Saints uh, two and two on the year I think a little disappointing based on how people thought they were going to be granted some injury issues they've been without Michael Thomas these last two weeks but two and two on the year uh, Tom are you Talgo or no go on the New Orleans Saints this is tricky because I think the Saints are a very similar team to the Buccaneers, especially on the offensive side. You mentioned obviously the quarterback, and I just think the Saints are a little bit better in areas than the Bucs are. I think they have a better number one receiver when he's healthy, Thomas, and they have a better running back, certainly with Kamara. And they show that they can win with without Thomas, obviously, and Kamara doesn't have his best game. I think he still had a touchdown, but you saw a lot more Latavius Murray in that game against the Lions and the the being down 14 to nothing coming back for 35 quick points just shows you how explosive that offense can still be and anytime you have that I think you're just naturally a contender so I'm going to go Talgo because of those weapons on offense I'm a strong no-go on the Saints I, I think Drew Brees' noodle arm falls off every single year once we get you know late in the season this offense is designed to be kind of short passing get it into your playmakers hands but I think at times you've seen it as an Eagles fan I see this all the time and I think the Saints are very similar in the sense that they are unable at times to just make deep throws downfield and I think the reason the Saints can't do that is because Drew Brees can't make those throws anymore. He can't throw deep. He can't really throw out routes. Same thing I was saying with Tom Brady. And it limits what you can do offensively. And it's something once you come to the playoffs, teams game plan for it. They have a year of film to figure out the throws you can and can't throw. They're going to take away the middle of the field. And when he tries to throw those outer boundary throws, he puts the ball in a lot of precarious positions. So I'm just out on the Saints for that reason. I think if they had a better quarterback, honestly, if they put Jameis Winston out there and he wasn't throwing interceptions, I'd probably be a bigger believer in the Saints. But you you know you can't conceivably believe he'd be doing that. So I'm out on the Saints for that reason. I just I think Drew Brees is over the hill and can't win a Super Bowl at this point. I think those are a lot of the concerns that you brought up with the Bucks, but then said the Bucks are contenders. So I, I guess where would you draw the line with one is and one isn't? They feel like too similar of a team to me. Style of offense. I, I, I think okay. the Saints are designed to be short, dink, and dunk and can't take those deep shots. You've seen Brady still able to take some of those deep shots. He had that, what, 30-something yard touchdown to O.J. Howard this week. He had a deep throw downfield to Mike Evans. You know, he he still has shown an ability to not only take deep shots, but be able to convert on those deep shots that I haven't seen from Drew Brees. And that's that's the sole reason I think I'm out on the Saints. And I just like the Bucks defense a little bit more than the Saints. Uh, we're going to shift now. We're going to skip over, I believe, the NFC North and the NFC East. We're kind of out on both those divisions, who you know, without the Packers. And we're going to go right to the AFC South, another division with two teams we want to discuss here. Uh, we're going to start with the team at the top of the division, undefeated now, mostly because they did not play this week. Uh, the Tennessee Titans, 3-0 on the year, just had a COVID outbreak, like we mentioned. I think it's now 18 or 19 positive cases on the team. So I wish everyone who is sick on that team the best. But the Tennessee Titans, Tom, you know, built, I feel like, on defense in a running game. You know, they gave Ryan Tannehill that big contract this offseason. They were just in the AFC Championship game last year. Are are you Talgo or no-go on them as contenders for the Super Bowl? 
I it pains me to say it, but even you brought this up with the them always seeming to kind of have to play from behind. I am no go on the Tennessee Titans. I love Derrick Henry. He's on Kyler the Creative Fantasy team. Love to see it. We're gonna get a win this week, even though he didn't play. But you know, we're gonna get a win even though he didn't play. So, you know, maybe he's not that important to the team. But the real Tennessee Titans, they're three and oh. I think you can pride yourself on the defense and they come from you know, maybe the worst division in the AFC. And I, I think they're going to obviously be a playoff team. And and I don't know if that makes them a contender just because I think the AFC is actually better than the NFC for the first time in maybe five, six years, probably. I think the AFC has more quality teams with the emergence of the Bills. And I just don't know if they can contend with the top of the conference like a, a middling team could in the NFC. So I'm, I'm no go on the Titans. I'm going to agree with you again. We've agreed a little too much for my liking, but I'm also no go on the Titans. And I'm going to make my reasoning very simple. Here are their scores and their wins this year. They beat the Broncos 16 to 14, the Jaguars 33 to 30, and the Vikings 31 to 30. These are all bad teams who they're barely beating. And I just can't buy into a team who is only outscoring their opponents by six total points this year. You know, I think the Bills, they have the Bills next week, given that, you know, barring any other COVID related delays, I think the Bills are going to crush them next week. And we'll get to the Bills here in a second, but I think the Bills are significantly better than the Titans. And for that reason, I'm just, I'm out on the Titans. I don't really think they when it comes down to it, if they make the playoffs, are going to be able to beat the best teams in football. Uh, to the other AFC South team, the Indianapolis Colts, 3-1 and one on the year. Uh, Phillip Rivers has been fine, I guess. Uh, they, they're a, a really interesting team. They're currently tops in football defensively. They've given up the fewest number of points through four weeks. So, Tom, the Indianapolis Colts, 3-1, and one, second in the division. Talgo or no-go? This this is a tough one to me. Um, I, I think you could make a good argument either way. Uh, the defense is fantastic. I will say you obviously brought up the numbers. Uh, their one loss was to the Jaguars in week one. They've won three straight. They beat the Bears, who were 3-0. and You know, you could say what you want about the Bears, but they were good going into the into that game. And they're just – they're consistent is what I would say about the Colts. And I, and I think there's a certain – truth to the matter that you need to kind of know what you're going to get week in and week out and I don't know if you get that with the Titans you do get that with the Colts so I'm actually going to go Talgo on them I I think they're better than the Titans I think they're the AFC South's best chance to make a run at the postseason or to make a run in the postseason and Philip Rivers still has it he's not you know, he, he was never Tom Brady or Drew Brees, but he's still as I, I think almost as good as Philip Rivers was in, in San Diego. And I, I like him. I'm gonna go I'm gonna go Talgo on Indy. Uh, I'm gonna go no go uh with a caveat here that I'm I'll explain in a second. I'm no go because I don't think the defense is as good as we think they are. I mean, I think their numbers are inflated because they only give up seven points to the Jets. You know, they held the Vikings, but it was a Vikings team at the time. Still are struggling. The Bears are not very good. You know, I just think, I think the Jaguars are more what they are as opposed to what you've seen the last three weeks. The one caveat I'll say here, they have the potential to be a very, very high seed because not only do they have their division in which, you know, you still have the Texans, the Jags again, you know, the Titans were were kind of both out on the Titans 
it's not a very good division. On top of that, they're playing a a last place schedule, I believe, or no, no, they're playing a third place schedule. So on the year, they still have the Bengals, the Lions, plus their divisional games. They have the Raiders as well, who I wouldn't say is like a hard team to beat. Their toughest games remaining are the Browns, Ravens, and Steelers. This is a team realistically that could be 12 and four, 11 and five going into the playoffs and be in position to have a lot of home games. And if that's where they are, I could see this team being a real contender. I just don't think this defense is as good as as it has appeared to be because of the opponents they played. And so I'm no go on the Colts. Uh, Tom, shifting to the AFC East and our last team, we're going to, or our second to last team, excuse me, we're going to discuss today. The Buffalo Bills, led by third year quarterback Josh Allen, who has appeared to make huge leaps and, you know, what in years past, and I think this year as well, has been a very good defense. You know, the, the Bills are going to try and ride the back of their defense and continue to see improvements from Josh Allen. Uh, I'll let you get in here and give your thoughts on them, but Talgo or no go on the Buffalo Bills. First of all, most improved player, Josh Allen, question mark? I think he's the clear front runner right now. I agree. Uh, and he's been fantastic this year. And, and I, my, my gripe with them through two weeks was they haven't yet beaten a good team. And they went out and they put up a solid performance against the Rams and the Raiders uh, yesterday. And so... I think obviously the first two weeks they played the Dolphins and the Jets. And so to go out there and do it against two teams that are, are clearly going to be in the playoff picture all season and fighting for postseason spots, I think kind of validates Josh Allen. And you mentioned the defense. And let's face it, the Patriots are staring two and two in the face after the game against the Chiefs tonight. No Cam Newton. Obviously, it'll have been over by the time this drops tomorrow. But I don't expect them to win this game. So they're going to be too clear in the division. And you know, if they beat the Pats once, they're looking really good to come out of this division, especially since the Pats still have the Ravens on the schedule as well as the Chiefs and the Bills only have to play the Chiefs. So I think they kind of catch a break on the schedule more than the Patriots do. And Josh Allen's the real deal. So, so I'm Talgo on the Bills. Uh, I'm Talgo on the Bills as well. And I'm going to give two stats as the reason why. Josh Allen, one interception so far this year and one fumble. His issues the first couple years were turnover problems. Yes, his completion percentage is also significantly better, but he strikes me as somebody who has that balance of run pass and his ability to do that is the reason why I'm in on the Bills as contenders for this season. And I think to me, they're the best team in the AFC East. And because of how good the defense is, they could give someone like the Chiefs a run for their money, in my opinion. The addition of Stefan Diggs really added a lot to their offense, and it's clearly made Josh Allen more comfortable there. What's our What's our last team? The Cleveland Browns. Uh, they're interesting, but Talgo or no go? What, what do you have, real quick? On the Browns? Yeah, I'm Talgo on because we got we got we got we got some breaking news. I want I want to get the oh, Browns. Oh, what is it? But... Go ahead, Tom. So you got, uh, according to Adam Schefter, this tweet from seven minutes ago, the Texans have now fired Bill O'Brien. He's out. Um, I don't really think this is a shock to anyone, but that team, this questionable moves by them over the past few years. Uh, my first thought is 
get someone in there that's better knows how to use Deshaun Watson because that is a he's a franchise QB and he is just has to be so frustrated with how that offense is built. I I think the frustration with Bill O'Brien should be his general management skills. And I I don't love his head coaching skills, but he really decimated that offense. As soon as you took DeAndre Hopkins off of that offense, they just weren't good enough. You saw it yesterday. They had an opportunity to tie or win that game. I don't remember which it was. And Will Fuller just couldn't hold on to it. And all you could think as it happened was DeAndre Hopkins catches that football. It was a perfectly thrown ball right where you want your wide receiver to be able to go up and get it. And Will Fuller's just not good enough to get that ball. And that's on Bill O'Brien. Bill O'Brien, as I like Bill O'Brien, he just was never a great head coach to me. He has, I think we would maybe agree, one of the top seven quarterbacks in football. And for that team to be 0-4 with, you know, we had a friend on the podcast, he talked about when you have a top level quarterback, you should be a contender every year. And that team is nowhere close to contending. They are a bad football team. One of the worst football teams in the whole NFL and it's all because they got rid of DeAndre Hopkins. They've gutted that team. You know, I, I don't know. The return on investment there with Bill O'Brien has not been great. And I think it was time. I just didn't expect him to be the first coach fired. Adam Gase has been significantly worse than he has. I think Adam Gase had significantly lower expectations. So I, I was funny you brought up worst team in the NFL because I think if the outside of teams that play at MetLife Stadium, I think they are the worst team in the NFL. So I, they have been, it it felt inevitable, like like it really did this year. And I think I think Gase does a little bit as well, but Gase at least had kind of the the mono bout with Sam Darnold last year that he was out half the season, and you know maybe gets a little bit of a pass on the fact that his team isn't as talented, but this is as healthy a Texans defense as they've had in in a few years. And to still just be 0-4 and and just clunker after clunker, when's it going to end? And, and, you know, maybe this this is finally the turnaround that they need so the the first thing this team needs to do though is hire a general manager because they can't bring in another coach who's going to handle the general management duties they need a guy who's going to be the general manager who makes the hire for you at head coach and then on top of that i i think their first call needs to be to eric Bieniemy. They need to get a better offensive coach in there and eric Bieniemy comes from the andy reed coaching tree which is a proven, very good coaching tree with Matt Nagy out there. You have Doug Peterson. John Harbaugh is from the Andy Reid coaching tree. There's just all over football, great coaches that have come from that coaching tree. So why not pluck another one? I think Eric Bieniemy should be their first call. And I don't think he leaves before the season is over. But before they even make that call, they need to get a general manager in there because name me the NFL franchise who's good without a general manager. I'll, I'll give you a hint. There's not one that exists, and the Texans have been operating without a general manager for the last year and a half. I don't, yeah, I don't, it's not a one-day solution. They're not going to suddenly turn into contenders, but I think you mentioned they they get they get somebody in the front office. They, they'll be all right. I think you can build around Deshaun Watson, obviously, so better days are ahead for the Texans. Better days are ahead. Yeah, I think they could have had better days this season, but they decided to blow it up, and it cost Bill O'Brien his job. So that's where we're at. Another week in the NFL, uh, another week in the NBA. Tom, another great show for us. Uh, we'll be back here, as always, 
next Monday to discuss the latest news, notes, and whatnot around the NBA and the NFL. Uh, Before you go, though, if you've made it this far in the podcast, be sure to go to Apple Podcasts like our boy Jerome did. Shout out to Jerome. I know he's a loyal listener. Went to Apple Podcasts, left us us a five-star rating, and let you all know we don't miss. This podcast does not miss. We are the podcast of no misses. Another classic here on There's a Lot Going On. So be sure to go over there. Five-star rating on Apple Podcast, And we'll be back here next week for another edition of There's a Lot Going On.